Thank you for joining us today. The way we're going to go through our service is we're going to walk through the Easter story. Um, we're going to do a little bit of up and down and moving around. Um, we're not an Anglican church, but <laughs> that's my, actually my history, my background. So I don't mind a little bit of like reading, response and things like that. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to track it from the, the cross of Christ um, through to the resurrection. And we're going to let the, let the Bible tell the story. We're going to begin um, with what happened on Good Friday, and we're going to read from John's Gospel. Um, He was there, and he testifies from his eyewitness account what he saw happen. John 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who'd been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who is a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So... Because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. On Good Friday, we remark the reality that Jesus really died. It was no illusion. It was no swoon. It was no fake. There was no swap. Jesus, the Son of God, died on a Roman cross. And Jesus, as we see in this passage, really was buried. There's a garden tomb that is now empty, but he was in that tomb. His body, his broken body was there. You could have been there and seen it yourself. But why? Why was Jesus crucified? And why was Jesus buried? The facts alone, the events alone need interpretation. Did you hear what Jesus said upon that cross? I wonder if the boys and girls, if you were listening, he cried out, it is finished. This was a cry, Jesus declaring that his work was complete. 
The job that he was sent from God the Father to do was now done. He'd lived his perfect sinless life. He'd fulfilled the scriptures. And now his death to take the sins of the world was coming to an end. Have you ever committed a sin or done something which has had long-term consequences? Perhaps something you've said to someone or an action you've done. And you wish, you just wish that that sin no longer had those consequences. That you could cut the cords and say, it is finished, we can move on. Well, that's what happened on the cross. For all who trust in Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in him, it is finished. All the sins you've racked up in your life, all the sins you've done against God are paid for in full. There's nothing left to add. There's no work left to be done. There's only rejoicing. That's the good news of Easter Friday. The Apostle Peter, who was also there after denying Jesus, said this many years later. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's why we call it Good Friday. In that grave, your sin died. In that grave, if you trust in Christ, your sins were buried with him. And nothing stands against you any longer. It is finished. After Jesus was buried late in the evening on Friday, the disciples went back to their rooms in distress, in grief, in fear and confusion, in silence, in weeping. And for a whole day, they waited. They obeyed the law. They, they rested on the Sabbath. You can imagine that would have been hard for them. And then, as soon as day broke the next morning, some of the disciples, some of the women, in fact, couldn't contain themselves. They couldn't stay back any longer. They had to go to the tomb. Let's read. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. Kids, try and picture that. Maybe try and draw that. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, 
as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. I love that. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Could you imagine the joy, the amazement, the wonder, the fear of these women? I'm sure they could not have comprehended what was happening. Luke continues, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. This is with all the disciples in a locked room. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. The writers of the New Testament are at pains to show that not only did Jesus rise again, it wasn't some spiritual hallucination or metaphor, it wasn't some legend, it was a real enfleshed body. He says, look at my hands and my feet. Mary, the both Marys, grabbed his actual feet and worshipped at them. He really did rise again. And as he holds out his hands and his feet and perhaps his side, he's still bearing the very marks of his crucifixion. He's bearing the marks of our sin, our rebellion, and the death that we should have died. And those marks on Good Friday looked like utter defeat, didn't they? But on Resurrection Sunday, they are the marks of victory. They are the scars of our salvation. They proclaim victory over Satan, victory over sin, and victory over death. And because he rose, our sin is truly dealt with in full. Because he rose, we are set free from sin and no longer enslaved to it. And because he rose, death no longer has dominion. Pastor Douglas Wilson says it like this. Jesus was crucified so that you and your sins could be crucified with him. Jesus was buried so that you and your sins could be buried with him. And Jesus rose from the dead so that you and not your sins could come back from the dead with him and in him, world without end, forever and ever. Amen. Friends, he is risen. The grave is still empty. And one day we will rise without our sins into a glorious resurrection body with Christ to enter world without end in his presence.
while it's appropriate that we dance and sing, uh, because when you take into account what really has taken place, if this is true, this is the most incredible news in the world. Kids, I want you to think about this, and maybe you can draw me a picture. And adults, I want you to think about this too. If I was to ask you this question and gave you an easel and some paintbrushes, what would you paint? Okay, this is what I want you to paint. What is your hope? Now, that's quite an abstract question. But when you think of hope, and particularly your personal hope potentially for the future, what images come to mind? What would you paint? You've got your little easel. Oh, no, that's the paint. Easel. I clearly don't do a lot of painting. What would you paint for the idea of hope? Perhaps in the short term, we might paint a little Pfizer vaccine. Uh, maybe not AstraZeneca, given what's happening at the moment. We might paint normality. You might paint that dream job or that partner perhaps a child that you would love to have. In the medium term, if you, term, if you went to another canvas and you, you thought, oh, maybe the future home you'd like to buy, <laughs> some kids or some peace from kids, perhaps, some luxury, and for some of us, a great retirement. If we go to another easel and you think about your long-term hopes, what would you paint? Perhaps death with dignity, surrounded by family. But what about your long, long-term hope? What about, what would you paint for your eternal hope? What hope do you have for the day that you draw your last breath and your eyelids close in death? What picture would you paint? What is going to meet you on the other side of that last blink, that last breath? I know it's a bit morbid in the thought of what we're talking about today, but these are the realities of the Christian message. Perhaps some of us would paint a black canvas. There's nothing. Maybe you would paint brown. Ah, oh, we just go to the dirt. Maybe you'd fill it with gray and uncertainty. But Easter, the Easter story paints a very clear picture of our hope. It's a living picture a flesh and blood reality. Our eternal hope is not left unclear. We're not left guessing. We don't have to create it ourselves. The Bible makes it very, very clear. All of us in this room are eternal creatures. No one, not the youngest to the oldest, will cease living on the day that we die. We all have a soul that will live on. We all have bodies that will be reborn into everlasting life or everlasting judgment. And the life that is promised by Jesus Christ isn't guaranteed by our wealth. It isn't guaranteed by our health or our homes or our deeds even, but it's guaranteed by one single thing, our faith in Jesus Christ, our trust in him, that he died and that he rose again. We go all in on Jesus. The Apostle Peter, who denied the Lord Jesus Christ, 
says it like this in his letter, 30 years after. 30 years after he saw Jesus died and rose again and was given this commission to spread the good news to every tribe, nation, and tongue. He wrote a letter to be sent out to the churches that spread across the known world at that time, across all the Roman province. And he says this in the letter. Blessed be, that's Bible speak for praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. Note that, it's grace. It's, it's nothing, we, we don't deserve it, we don't earn it. He, that is God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To use words to kind of grasp what happens when someone becomes a Christian Christians use this idea of being born again, to become a whole new creature, to start life again as like a baby who grows up into new life. And how did that happen? How did we receive new life? Through Resurrection Sunday, through Jesus coming back from the grave. And so what's the end result of this new life? Where does this new life go? It starts when you name Christ, you become a Christian, you're born again. But what's the end result? Well, verse 4. To an inheritance, sounds good, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The great hope which we look forward to, friends, church, is this hope that we have a sure and certain and glorious future ahead of us in the presence of God. And it can never be taken away. No flood, no virus, no death, no disease, no decay can ever impact our inheritance in Christ. We share in his spoils of victory. And look at verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Even our hope for making it through the rest of the journey as new believers, as newborn people, is by God's grace and power. We don't have to live fretting. We don't have to live anxious. We don't have to live worried. We can paint our future because it's been told for us. It's been claimed for us in the resurrection of Christ from the grave. If he rose, we will rise. If he lives, we will live. Nothing can stop it, spoil it, or change it. And this is an open hope to all who are in this room today. Jesus himself said when he raised Lazarus from the dead, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? If you trust in Jesus, this is your certain future, your living hope. The resurrection is not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. A whole world awaits us, a glorious eternity, a perfect reality, Life eternal, joy to the full, no sickness, no sadness, no pain, no death, only life. And this is our hope, friends. And it is all through Christ 
alone. And what is our response? Well, Peter finishes in this little section of his letter and he says this. And I'll get you to stand because we're going to sing in Christ alone. And after I read this, the kids, if you can go see Miss Abby at the back, you can get ready for the chorus that you're going to be singing after this. And this captures the reality because we're, we're, we're talking about things that we can't see. We're talking about realities that we can't hold. But Peter, who saw him, commends the churches and he says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Friends, let us sing of the eternal hope we have in Christ and in Him alone. You would have noticed in that 1 Peter 3 verse, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great Mercy. He has caused us to be born again. The only song we have as Christians is His mercy. It's all His grace. We're not good. We're not good enough to make it in. It's all Him. And this song highlights His mercy. It highlights the freeness of His love that is open to all. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can enjoy Christ and these beautiful little voices as we sing. As we close, I want to say one last thing, friends, and it's such a joy to see you all. It's, it's an incredible reality we have. We have a certain future hope, but that's not all. Because of the resurrection of Christ, the future is now. We live in the power of the resurrection of the Son of God even now by His Spirit and by the fact we're born again. Romans 6, the Apostle Paul declares this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Friends, we walk out of here into the future in newness of life. Let's sing, let's dance to this final song. Afterwards, you can head out, eat food, do face painting, do whatever you need. If you need to become a Christian today, you're not yet a follower of Jesus. It doesn't matter how old or young you are, do it today. Enter into eternal life and have a certain and future hope. I'd love to talk with you if that is on your heart. But let's rise and sing one last time, a glorious day.